to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. This morning's story is from John's Gospel from the 20th chapter in verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked out of fear of the authorities, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord, and Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them this time, Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. The word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. It is quite easy to be critical of what other people believe. Maybe we've always been that way, critical of others' beliefs. But gosh, with social media at the ready, it is so easy to be public about our criticisms of what other people believe. I get why we do it. I do it too, right? All of us criticize others. It is disturbing to learn how different our beliefs can be from one another. A reporter I heard this week interviewed wives of ISIS soldiers. 
And as I heard their devotion to such a small and parochial and violent God, their beliefs made me feel angry. I feel the same way whenever I hear Franklin Graham talk. It sometimes doesn't even feel like we're living on the same planet, let alone believing in the same God. The most unsettling differences in belief are those that we have with the people that are closest to us. How can he agree with all the stuff on that news station? How can, how can she absolve herself of, of her role in climate change? She doesn't even recycle for crying out loud. Right? It's unsettling to know that we look at the same world and yet we come to believe such different things. I think we forget a lot of the time that beliefs are not facts. And no, that doesn't just apply to the other guy's beliefs, right? That's yours too. I know you all like to think that you're sitting there this morning and that all of your beliefs are sound and reasonable and humane. But if you were to take all of what you believe and empty it out and lay it out there on the kitchen table this afternoon, you would be staring at a jumbled mess of irregularities and peculiarities and, yes, contradictions. All of us are this way, right? We all have this, this mess of beliefs inside of us because here's the rub. We don't believe things because they're true. We believe things because we want other people to like us. It's true, it's just the way your brain is designed to work. The most important thing about your brain is, is not that it's rational, it's that it's social. When your brain engages the world around you today, it isn't immediately looking out for facts. It's trying to figure out what you can say and what you can do that will make other people like you. What matters most of all to us is belonging. The first thing that we do in the world is figure out who our people are. And then we start doing the same things that they do. And, and then and only then do explanations for those behaviors start to line up and become beliefs. We belong. We behave. And only then do we believe. Which brings us to the question for today. Which is, what does it mean to say, I believe in the resurrection of the body? It's the question at the heart of this amazing Easter story from John's Gospel. According to John, you heard it was Sunday evening, after the women had found the empty tomb that morning. John says the disciples are hiding behind locked doors. They're afraid, and for good reason, that those who killed Jesus wouldn't stop with Jesus. Then and there, in that very room, Jesus appears. The Gospels have mixed messages about what kind of body that the resurrected Jesus has. It is a, a body for sure with 
form and physicality. John says the risen Christ even eats fish on the beach. He wants you to know this is a, a real body. It can eat fish, but it's it's also not like other bodies. Some who know Jesus well don't recognize him by sight, and he comes and goes in, in ways that make him seem like an apparition. What is clear is that by writing the story about Jesus' resurrected body, this particular story, John knows how unbelievable a resurrected Savior will sound to us. So John gives to us this doubting Thomas. Thomas, who, like Jason said, was out somewhere, apparently getting groceries or, 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 or re renewing his driver's license or something. He was out when Jesus first rose from the dead. He comes and says, I will not believe unless I can touch Jesus' body. Thomas demands the most absolute and incontrovertible proof of resurrection. Only if I can touch the same body that healed the sick and, and washed my feet and opened my eyes to the nearness of God, only if I can touch the same body that touched mine and loved me, only then will I believe that Jesus is resurrected. But it's more than just touching Jesus' body, isn't it? Thomas, is, Thomas doesn't say, I need to hold Jesus' hand. He doesn't say, I need to kiss his cheek. He says, unless I put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe it's Jesus. Thomas wants to touch a wounded body. It is significant that the resurrected body still bears the memory of its suffering. We don't get a clean copy of our body when we are raised. When we are resurrected, the pain of life is not erased or forgotten. But as we have been saying throughout all of Lent and throughout all of Holy Week, if the love of God is to mean anything, if it is to matter to us at all, it is a love that mends and heals and transfigures and strengthens and ultimately incorporates our pain and brokenness into our new life in Christ. Thomas won't accept a risen Jesus who has no memory of what he endured. Until he sees that Jesus has confronted and transformed his own suffering, and, and if so, perhaps our own, he will not accept a lesser hope. I want to touch the wounds, he says. So while we're all paying attention to the touchy, fleshy parts of this story, which is what we should do for sure, I have to say that the words that Christ shares with the disciples in the same passage are amazing. They're remarkable, maybe even more miraculous than the body itself. Were you paying attention to what Jesus said? He says, peace 
peace be with you. As God has sent me, so I send you. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. Christ tells them, go out from this place. Go out from behind these locked doors. Do not stay here where you feel safe. You do not belong here. You are sitting here and confusing safety for peace. You're wrong. Now you are peace. You are peace. From now on, from this time forward, everywhere you go, you will take the same spirit that is in me. Go into this world and and find out there all that is beautiful and also all that is in conflict. Find the violence and the grief and the pain and the injustice too. Find all that is still awaiting resurrection. I send you out into the world and and you will take with you the only thing you will ever need. You will have my spirit, which looks like loving kindness and mercy. Jesus kicks them out and says, go save the world with mercy. Perhaps you know by now that I believe that mercy is the embodiment of resurrection. Mercy, this fierce and loyal and tender and forgiving love. Mercy is the one thing we bring into this world that creates new life wherever it goes. With mercy, relationships are healed. Enemies are reconciled. Justice is done by mercy. Mercy can stop our endless cycle of violence and revenge and loss and more violence. Mercy, like resurrection, doesn't erase the wounds, but it heals them from the inside out. Go into this world, Christ says, taking mercy, it's all that you need. So Thomas gets his wish, right? He does get to see the risen Christ. And Jesus gestures to his wounds when he sees Thomas and says, Thomas, go ahead and and put your finger here. Do not doubt, but believe. And while I love this painting, John's gospel is much more enigmatic. The way John writes it, we don't know if Thomas ever actually touches the wounds. Whatever Thomas sees, whatever he hears, it's enough to make him look at the risen Christ and say, my Lord and my God. Believing is a social act, not a rational one. You and I believe things not because of an abundance of facts, 
but because we want to be accepted. And the weird thing about belief in the resurrection of the body is that it's neither rational nor altogether social. I mean, we know it clearly, it clearly presses the boundaries of rational thought. But I'd also venture to guess this morning that there are none of your friends and neighbors who are putting peer pressure on you to believe in the resurrection of the body. Even in the earliest days of the church, it was never socially beneficial to believe in a resurrected body. Christians who believed these things were seen as troublemakers, as disruptors to the peace of Rome. One of the greatest mysteries in the whole study of Christian origins is why did so many people come to embrace this weird new religion, believing things that put them at odds with society and with plain fact? Some people say that's the proof that Jesus rose. That only if there had been an actual body would so many people have been convinced of the unbelievable. What is quite certain to me is that in the early days of the church when people on the outside looked at these followers of the risen Christ they saw them living a particular quality of life. That is, they saw with their eyes and even touched with their own hands the bodies of people whose lives were already shaped by resurrection. They saw with their eyes and touched with their Hands, people who were practicing resurrection in the world. When people looked at these followers of the risen Christ, I can only imagine that what they saw was a quality of life so alarming in its kindness, so disturbing and bizarre and wonderful in its goodness, that when they looked at them, they knew that is life. And that is the shape of life that I want, too. My suspicion is that it is still today the shape of the life of the followers of the risen Christ that offers us our best proof of resurrection. When you see someone who is bent on their knees, washing the feet of someone who lives on the street, you say to yourself, who does that? Or when you watch someone who, who gives their whole life, their whole substance, to feed people who don't have enough to eat, you say, who does that? When you hold hands, as I have done with someone who who started one of the first hospices for people with HIV and AIDS in South Africa, you say, who, who does something like that? If you get to work for a day alongside someone who spent their 
whole life building homes for people that don't have affordable homes. You say, who does that kind of thing? When you see someone who sells their possessions and gives their money away and has never been happier, you say, who does that? When you watch a small group of people from this congregation go down and create a school for children in a part of the world that desperately needs education, you say, who does that? Or when you get to hold hands with Ann Sayre, who went down to the mountains of Guatemala and made a house where women can go and give birth to vibrant, healthy babies, you say, who does that kind of thing? But you've also seen someone offer mercy Offer this fierce and loyal and tender and forgiving love to someone else who didn't deserve it. And in, in so doing, they created a whole new kind of relationship from the ruins of the old one. And maybe, maybe you've been in the room when someone strokes the forehead of their beloved and says, I'll see you again. We get to see these people who have gone out into the world, just as Jesus said, and, and, and gone into some of the hardest places uh, that, that, that any of us will ever know. And they go with mercy and with loving kindness. And it is so beautiful to see the shape of that life that we decide then and there, those are my people. And so we make the choice to walk alongside them. And we learn from them. And, and over time, something miraculous happens. We, we start doing the same things that they do. We start behaving in the same ways. And eventually, eventually even our explanations for why we do the things we do become the same. We belong, and then we behave, and then we believe. All of you belong to a community of resurrection, and all of you are called by the risen Christ to go out and practice resurrection. And those two things come first. And then, over time and by the grace of God, we come to also know what it is to say, I believe in the resurrection of the body.